Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Good evening and welcome to the History of Alchemy podcast. I'm Travis Dow. And I'm Pete Coleman from the Bohemian podcast. Today we're going to talk about Arnold of Villanova. And uh, he's also known as Arnaldos de Villa Space Nova, or Arnaud de Villanova, or Arnaudos Villanovanos, or Arnaud de Villeneuve. How was that? Was that a good That's pronunciation? That's pretty good. I like that. Um, great. And, Keep it up. And there's more, uh, but all <laughs> well, variations. the idea. <laughs> yeah, but there's all variations thereof. Um, so he lived from 1235 to 1311, or thereabouts. They're not really sure when he died. And uh, he was an alchemist, astrologer, and physician. So kind of run-of-the-mill alchemist, I would say, more or less. Um, he's originally from Valencia. So, he, you know, apparently he was Catalan. They're not quite sure about that. And he studied chemistry, medicine, physics, and also Arabic philosophy. He lived in the court of Aragon and taught many years in Montpellier, the school of medicine. In Paris, he gained considerable reputation. But uh, while doing this, he, he must have kind of been saying some weird things because he incurred the wrath of the ecclesiastics and uh, according to uh, one source basically a friend of his in Spain was caught by the inquisition and so he fled because uh, he thought he would he might be next in in, in line basically and uh, he went all the way to either Naples or let's say the kingdom of Naples and and probably found asylum in Sicily well his fame kind of caught up to him a little bit uh, you know and a lot of people were talking that Maybe all his skill and his, his wide knowledge of alchemy all were derived from communication with the devil. Um, so the physician deserved nothing less than a burning at the stake is what many people said. And, and by attracting this kind of wrath from the clergy and his openly sneering of the monastic regime and, and his, some of his, his statements were not helpful. <laughs> yeah. You know, he would say things like he would boldly talk about the works of charity are just m- so much more acceptable to God than the repetition of paternosters, you know, or uh, just having the uh, repetitiveness of, of saying, you know, uh, your, your prayers in church and those type of things. Yeah. You know, rec- recitation, basically. That doesn't, yeah. that doesn't really make God happy. Works of charity make sure. God happy, right? So that, that really didn't probably en- enamor him to the church at the time when you know, that's kind of the path to God is to go through these repetitions to be closer to God and keep him in your mind. That's not how he looked at it. Um, you know, but thanks to people favor, Delvanova Del remained unscathed by his enemies. So he kind of got underneath the wire a little bit and did what he wanted to do without a lot of problems. However, it did catch up with him. And as soon after his death in the year 1313, the Inquisition decided they had dealt too leniently with him when he was alive. Yeah. So to make matters really kind of put matters to the test, they burned all his writings publicly in Tarragona. So it's one thing to, to you know, uh, excommunicate somebody or to not bury them in, in consecrated ground, but to take away anything that reminded anybody of what you did in life is just that one final step that the church felt that they had to do, especially the Inquisition. Because yeah. this sent a message to others, didn't it? Uh, yeah, I, I would say uh, because the, the way he died, I'll get into that in a second, but 
Yeah, probably if he didn't die uh, the way he did, he probably would have been burnt at the stake sooner or later. It was coming. It, it would have come, <laughs> caught up to him. It was coming. So around um, 1311 or 1313, you know, the dates vary depending on the source, but he was summoned to Avignon by Pope Clement V, um, who was ill. Uh, so Villanova died on the voyage somewhere off the coast of Genoa. So like I've said, if he didn't die in that accident... He probably would have gotten burnt sooner or later, even even with the Pope's blessing. I just don't think the Pope would have called him to this court and said, hey, knock it off and go go about your life. I think maybe this was, hey, we're going to keep you here for some questioning and what happens, happens. All right, well, man? Maybe, so, he just, maybe he just went on the lam. Maybe he just disappeared. You know, this is such a long time ago. We're talking, you know, around uh, maybe he the discovered, early 1300s. Maybe he discovered the elixir of life and he's living somewhere in Kentucky right now. <laughs> you, you never know. Somewhere in Las Vegas, like Howard Hughes. That's what I'm going right, with. Right, you know? Um, now, remember, Clement V is the same pope that killed all the Knights Templars with Philip IV. Remember uh, that? On Friday the 13th. Yep. All right. Yeah, I remember um, that. I wasn't there for that, but I remember the story. Yeah. You were probably there. You probably had something <laughs> to do with it. We, we brought up the... He studied Arabic philosophy earlier, and he's actually credited with translating a number of medical texts from Arabic, including works by Ibn Sina, which is, you know, uh, we know him as Avicenna. We've mentioned him a, a few times. And Costa Ibn Luka, or in the West known as Costa Ben Luka and Galen, who we've mentioned here and there. He had, now again, with many of these authors, so there's many alchemical writings that are attributed to him. But there is actually a pretty big doubt whether he actually wrote them. Just to give you some examples, there's the Thesaurus Thesaurorum, uh, the Rosarius Philosophorum, uh, Novum Lumen, the Flos Florum, and uh, they all have kind of a seems like they have a nice alliteration in some way. You know, they're all somehow connected to him, you know, in some form or some fashion. Uh, but this is not the first time this has happened before. We right. had some, some yeah. alchemy, who's who. People attach themselves really to a name. We really don't know if it was one guy, six yeah. guys, if it was you know with a separation of ten different years, or we're talking a, over a century and a half. But this was a part of his reputation. Right. So, yeah, we're, we're bringing it up. But he did do some really some really cool science. Uh, at least it's, att- it's attributed to him that he may have been the one to discover carbon monoxide, and um, even possibly pure alcohol, which sometimes is called aqua vitae, like like life water, which is you know just moonshine basically. Well, that would be life water for a lot of people. That would be yeah, it's pretty harsh, but it yeah, to keep you going. Yeah. Now he did also have a um, reputation as a kind of medical writer, and and um, he was uh, one thing that he may have written was the breviarium practicae. So to quote. Um, one of his works, he wrote, to produce sleep so profound that the patient may be cut and will feel nothing, as though he were dead. Take of opium, mandragora bark, and henbane root equal parts, pound them together and mix with water. When you want to sew or cut a man, dip a rag in this and put it to his forehead and nostrils. He will soon sleep so deeply that you may do what you will. To wake him up, dip the rag in strong vinegar. Now this is revolutionary because this is he's describing an aesthetic that will put you under. And this is way ahead of its time. People did not understand this at all. I, th- I think so, the, if you were suffering from something that needed some uh, medical attention, you called a barber. At the time, a barber um, or a butcher. Or, 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 yeah, well, someone <laughs> called them as butchers as well. Yeah. But they, they were kind of learning as they went, and so yeah, uh, it, it most likely that meant that uh, you probably wouldn't survive the the, the treatment. Um, and so if you're really hurting, most likely you probably would have had some kind of mixture of something that would have uh, dulled the pain or maybe just some sort of alcohol that would have really 
you know, uh, yeah. how have you survived uh, some of the shock? But you know, Arnold Villanova, he was at at heart an alchemist. Uh, we talked about some people looked at him as a magician. You know, he he really became um, rich by the means of transmutation of base metals into gold. I mean, that that's that's, that's the reputation. idea yeah, that right. that supposedly made him uh, his fame. Arnold was also a physician, and I think this is where it comes into is maybe a, a, a pioneer of toxicology. Uh, we're talking maybe a proto-chemist. Um, he really kind of really put forward the contemporary medical remedies of alcohol, putting them into actions of, of medicine, mm-hmm. right? It, it, it can. It, you know, those snake oil sort of charms that we talk about in, in, in America in, in the late 1800s or mid-1800s, uh, people would buy in, in droves by these really charlatans, and all it was was alcohol. Mm-hmm. You know, but yeah, it made it made your rheumatism go away. It made it made it made your you know a major uh, at least you, uh, pneumonia you, less 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 hard. At least you, you forget know. about it for a while. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You could breathe a little bit easier. You know those type of things. So um, alcohol does make a, a big point in this. Um, you know, Arnold also described what it would be known would be known as the anesthetic that Travis you just right. talked about. Yeah. Right. So something to put somebody under. Variations of the spongia somifera were quite common in the ninth. Uh, to the 14th century. Mm-hmm. So this stuff did, it, it was used. Um, sporophic sponges offered a measure of pain relief. Yeah. Right? So, you know, to, to make to make things a little bit clearer for our listeners, it, it wasn't a, a general anesthetic that would really put a, uh, the patient out uh, where they would wake up later, you know, and then feel the pain of, of recovery. Uh, but this was more of a local anesthetic yeah. uh, to give you an idea. So a person most likely could be very cognitive of what was going on, even see the action was going on, but maybe not feel the pain as acutely as they would without this this sponge. Yeah. Right. So right. that kind of gives you an idea. Um, a, for, a front runner to a lot of other things. So yeah. So uh, I mean, he was way ahead of his time. Ahead, that, if we're talking about the thing, same guy that, that we're attributing this name to, you know, then yes, you know, yeah. that is absolutely amazing. Um, there's. I'll, I'll leave you with one more kooky story about him. Yeah. So supposedly, before he went to bed every night, he would kind of cover his chest in wax. And he thought this would make you live longer. So this was kind of his his elixir of life kind of remedy. And um, the some of his remedies that uh, was it a Vix forty four vapor rub. Type it was of thing? it was that kind of deal. Yeah, yeah. That it kind of opens up your your sinuses. Uh huh. Make yeah. you live one hundred and thirty. Yeah. There you go. You didn't even know that, did you? <laughs> so some of the remedies would consisted of a certain quantity of kind of this oriental saffron, red rose leaves, sandalwood, aloes, amber, liquefied in oil of roses. And then this, this basically like white wax, you know, kind of embedded in there. So in the morning, he would take it off like this, you know, layer of wax that was solid now. And then he would save it for the next night. And then he would melt it back down and cover his chest with it again. And he did this every night. There's another story is that he raised his own chickens every seven years, which again, he thought would make him live longer. And he fed this chickens like a very specific diet. And then he would eat one every day. So he was like very cognizant of like you know what he fed them, like what his food would eat basically. And we talk and about every that seven today. years he would start over. Yeah, yeah, don't we talk about that every day? We, we you know not every day, but I mean it's it's something it comes in, up, in yeah. modern modern talk about how are we these, feed free range chickens, free, free range, range yeah, exactly. uh, you know, and, and how we treat animals that we're we're going to put on the dinner table later. It's it is important because the, not only just the taste, but the you know the 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 protein type material that we're putting in our systems. We are also very cognizant of that. Yeah, so he, so made, he, he was onto something. He may have been onto something. Yeah, yeah sure. All right. Well, uh, I hope you liked that one. That was kind of short, but um, that's all. There's there's a lot of myth out there about this guy. So I'll just we'll leave it at that tonight. 
if we find out a lot more cool stuff, we might do an update. You can put it on your website. Yeah, because I, you know, uh, in my alchemy books, I I see this guy mentioned a lot, but it's like a sentence here or there. Um, or you know, maybe if you study toxicology, you might get a quote from him. But um, that's that's basically about it. So interesting character, but um, take everything you read about him with a grain of salt. Well, I think that's what's great about the show, Travis, is that you know when we talk about alchemy, especially this podcast, you know you, we're putting together this this whole big mosaic of a picture here. And there's some people that have greater roles in this mosaic, and you know that are very vivid, and other folks that kind of fill in the blanks. And this is one of those guys. You know, he fills in the blanks a little bit, and but he makes he makes that picture a little bit more complete. I think the inventor of moonshine definitely deserves a spot on our people podcast. in West Virginia would appreciate this guy absolutely because uh, they are their, their sons and daughters. <laughs> well, there you have it. All right. Well, thanks for listening. Thanks very much. You've been listening to the History of Alchemy podcast with Travis Dow and Pete Coleman. For more information about this episode, other episodes, and other information about alchemy, alchemists, and related subjects, visit historyofalchemy.com. Find us on iTunes, subscribe, review, and don't forget to rate us. We'd love to hear from you. Send your comments, ideas, and corrections to podcast at historyofalchemy.com or get in touch via Facebook on the History of Alchemy podcast page or Twitter at Alchemy Podcast. Tune in to our sister podcast, all about the Czech Republic, Bohemican, which is also available on iTunes or on bohemican.com. Until next time on the History of Alchemy podcast, thank you for listening. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.